the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day, and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead, and I'm a California Bar-admitted attorney, and I'm also a bankruptcy law certified specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. As I've shared with you in the past, in addition to my JD, I also hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I'm a master of the laws of taxation law, and I'm also a master of the laws of intellectual property laws. Now, both of these great law degrees were obtained from my favorite alma mater, Golden Gate University School of Law, that's located in the beautiful city of downtown San Francisco. Okay, because of my training, my experience, my lifelong interest in business and finance and wealth creation and wealth transfer and the roles these aspects of the social science of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me. I primarily practice bankruptcy law, but I also do debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law. And I'm proud to say that as part of my practice, I sometimes have the opportunity to at least attempt to seek out and vindicate the rights of seniors who find themselves victims of the more pernicious forms of financial elder abuse that's making the rounds today. So I'm coming to you again today from my continued voluntary lockdown in my makeshift studios in my home in another great world-class city, that is to say the city of Oakland, which is absolutely beautiful. And I'm laughing because today I'm having all kinds of technical issues, but I am determined to get this show recorded and on the air because this is the Christmas show. Okay. And as you know, I come to you each week to discuss some of the financial and legal issues confronting individuals, families, and small business owners. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information from me to you that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that is tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully to provide you with at least an outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find qualified professional help. And I do this because, as I'm known for saying, I believe that representing yourself in a legal matter is just like taking a butter knife to a gunfight. If you're lucky and your adversary is napping, 
you might be able to sneak up on her. And if you get real close, you can scratch her on the arm, even poke her in the eye. But more than likely, you're the one that's going to be dead on arrival. That is to say, you're going to see your valid claims and or your righteous defenses. See the promised land way before you do. So once again, I'm going to share with you the purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss the law related to your money and more probably in these trying times, the lack thereof and your overall finances and what you may need to consider to protect your own or your families and or your businesses, financial health, wealth and money related well-being as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening educational form. So today... We're going to continue our discussion of what I believe small business owners need to consider if they want to try and save their business that has been shut down by governmental mandate with the goal of stopping the community spread of COVID-19. However, and notwithstanding the good and just cause our elected officials have used as the basis to shut down our businesses, our creditors, and especially our landlords, not only want, but need their rent from us to pay their own mortgages. And as a result of the shutdown, we just don't have any or we don't have enough income to pay our contractual rent. So picking up where we've been, uh, you know, left off and we've been talking about the last few weeks. There are three things I believe small business owners need to consider to possibly, and again, I say possibly, gain at least some temporary relief and possibly, and again, I say possibly, keep their businesses afloat until we get to the other side of this pandemic when enough of us are vaccinated against it. Now, Inquiring minds who want to know have asked me, just how much time do I need to stay afloat under these circumstances? Well, some very well-respected medical experts have suggested on the record that at least 70 to 75 percent of us need to have received the vaccine before we reach societal immunity to COVID-19, also known as herd immunity. Now, while I'm very happy and encouraged that Pfizer and Moderna each have received emergency use use authorizations from the FDA within the last couple of weeks, allowing them to distribute their vaccines, and some very credible folks, including medical rock star Dr. Anthony Fauci, have undergone very public vaccinations to exemplify to us their belief that the vaccines are safe and effective. Okay, I'm down with that. Now, some medical experts and some government officials have also stated on the record that we can reach this herd immunity nirvana sometime in the second or third quarter of 2021. However, I just don't see how that can be because the numbers just don't add up. Now, as there are some 330 million souls living in the U.S. today, a 70% coverage rate of 330 million means that at least 
231 million of us must be vaccinated by the July 1, 2021 herd immunity target date that everybody talks about. And in as much as Pfizer and Moderna both are two-dose vaccines, that means that in order to vaccinate 231 million people, we need at least 462 million doses. Now, unfortunately, as our government only contracted for approximately 300 million doses from Pfizer and Moderna to be delivered by the end of the second quarter of 2021 or June 30, 2021, that means that only 150 million Americans, or that is to say around 45% of us, not 70% of us will be vaccinated. And I'm, and I'm just I'm glazing over, skipping over the issue of, you know, people who will refuse to take the vaccine. But just say everybody who wants it, everybody wants it. Only 45 percent, not 70 percent of us will be vaccinated. That also means that 181 million of us will not be protected. And while the U.S. is currently negotiating for more doses from Pfizer and Moderna, because our heretofore lack of governmental uh, leadership this past summer when our leaders declined Pfizer's offer to provide us with more doses, Pfizer did what any business person would do. It offered those doses to other countries and they uh, picked up the surplus. Now that means that now we have to get in line behind those other countries whose leaders are just as committed as our new leadership to protect us from COVID-19. Therefore, they're not going to stand by and let us cut the line. And also, while AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson are reportedly close to completing their efficacy and safety tests for the vaccine, which, according to reporting in the New York Times, are projected to be reviewed by the FDA in the spring of 2021, But those states are just projections. And so we really don't know that more vaccines will be available anytime soon. So I reiterate and I echo what President-elect Joe Biden said yesterday, because I'm recording this show on December 23rd. He said this on December 22nd, 2020. Things are going to get worse before they get better, notwithstanding we have a vaccine. The darkest days are in front of us, not behind us. So again, In my not-so-humble opinion, I don't think we will reach herd immunity until at least a year from now or sometime around January 1, 2022, or even later if there are supply chain hiccups limiting access to all the components of the various vaccines. So how are we going to survive for a year with little or no income? When we come back, we'll continue today's important discussion by looking at to see if our contracts might be able to help us in this matter. But first, we're going to take a short break, and I'll see you on the other side. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law. As we continue today's important topic, 
three things small business owners need to consider to try and save their businesses that have been shut down by governmental mandate due to COVID-19. You know, as I shared with you before, first, we need to look at our commercial rental contracts to see if it contains a force majeure provision, which, as I've said before, literally means an act of God preventing you from performing your duties under a contract such as timely paying your rent each month. Now, most but not all force majeure provisions include the concept of a governmental shutdown. And I've also shared, even if there is not a force majeure uh, provision in your rental agreement, you need to analyze the contract to see if continuing to perform under the contract terms is impossible or impractical or whether the forced shutdown frustrates the purpose of the rental contract and or if a material term in the contract is ambiguous and whether the contract is unconscionable because it's a contract of adhesion. Now, all five of these issues are are defenses for breach of contract that may help you defend against your landlord when she comes to sue you to evict you from the premises. Then second, we need to read and understand our business insurance policy to understand the contours of business interruption, if any, in that insurance contract. Third, we need to consider filing for bankruptcy to see if there's any way we might be able to have the protection of a federal court in equity while we try to either save our business through reorganization or shut it down permanently through an orderly court-supervised liquidation and then get on with our life, like starting a new business or just saying, you know, I'm going to try to be an employee for a while, although I think that's going to be hard in our new economic environment. So today we're going to continue looking at our business insurance policy to see if perhaps it contains a business interruption endorsement that is robust enough to withstand the many exclusions contained therein that our insurance carrier will point to to deny our claim such such that a court may hold the insurer responsible for replacing at least some of the losses uh, we have experienced and covering some or all of the additional expenses we may incur to keep the business going during this pandemic and provide us with at least a sure bridge over troubled waters to help us legitimately save our business during this pandemic until enough of us receive the vaccine that will create the societal immunity that will allow us to open up our economy fully. So today we're going to look at a sample business insurance policy to see if it provides business interruption and extra expense coverage or more than likely puts in writing exclusions that won't allow it to come to to fore. But first, I want to just make sure that we have a, a baseline understanding of what insurance is, because I don't think many people quite understand it unless you're a total, total nerd uh, like I am and some of the people that I have hung out with. Um, so let's just look at some of the issues. Now, we need to 
understand what risk is. Okay, there's two broad categories of risk. One is insurable and the other one is not. So risk can be defined as uncertainty as to an economic loss for the purposes of insurance. Two major types have to be distinguished, pure versus speculative. As a generalization, it can be stated that insurance has developed primarily to enable you, that is to say you, the business person, to reduce pure risk, not speculative risk. Now, pure risk exists when a person is faced with a situation in which he has only the possibility of loss caused by an outside factor, not him or herself. Thus, events include, you know, fire or windstorm or the death of a key person or the sickness of the business owner or liability judgment. They cause nothing but loss since it is most unusual for these perils to bring any gain. They are classified as pure loss and you can insure against a pure loss as opposed to a speculative one. And I'll just, you know, summarize a speculative loss exists when a person is faced with a situation in which he has the possibility of not only loss, but also of gain investment in common stock, real estate or small business are example of situations that can produce either profit or loss. In speculative risk, you can choose whether or not you will subject your savings, your life savings to loss. You can decide how much risk you will assume. The risk is something over which you can exercise some degree of control. And for that reason, Usually, you cannot obtain an insurance policy against such risk. Otherwise, no matter how poorly you ran your business or invested in the stock market or invested in poor quality real estate, you could insure against the risk of losing your capital and thus obtain guarantee against failure, which is not what insurance is about. It is to cover pure risk over which you have no control. Now, the definition of insurance, can it is, it is an exchange, but it does an economic and social good to reduce the risk in terms of what it does as a legal contract to reduce risk. So in, a, in effect, with insurance, the individual and the uh, economy as a whole and society as a whole benefits by an exchange for uh, of a pure unknown risk and indemnification by the insurance company for the consideration that we give them in the form of premium. It's an exchange. And because, you know, I share with you last time when I worked for an insurance company, I never was around more smart people. And it wasn't so much that the lawyers were the smart people. We were at the bottom of the food chain. But they were geologists, seismologists, uh, meteorologists, financial analysts, people that understood markets, and the lawyers. We encapsulated their brain power into documents that protected our insureds and our insurance company. So 
that's what and and some of those smart people are actuaries and believe it or not based on the law of large numbers they can pretty well predict say in a cul-de-sac how many houses are going to catch on fire in a given year and that's how they one of the ways they come up with premium they also uh, determine premium by you prepaying your insurance premium for a whole year and as the months roll by it becomes the insurance company's money and they invested in real estate uh, stocks bonds and other things to increase the wealth of the insurance company and provide a reserve to pay us if we have a righteous valid claim so i just wanted to give you that you know uh, five-minute um, uh, education and in insurance that took me several years and, and um, uh, to um, uh, understand myself. But you need to understand why it is an insurance company is not just going to write you a check because you file a claim. And I share with you why uh, business interrupt insurance has gone through a, a turn because of uh, viral and bacterial and fun- fungus infections. So let's look at a sample policy. The first thing you need to find is what I call the table of contents, but it's not going to be called a table of contents. If you have a business policy, it's going to be close to 200 pages in length. So what you need to do is go find something called the schedule of forms and endorsements. And it is it acts as a table of contents. And so what you want to look for is a line item entitled business income and extra expense coverage form. You also want to look and see if there's something called exclusion of loss due to virus and bacteria. And then you want to look to see if there's an exclusion for fungi and bacteria. And then you want to look for something called the common policy conditions because it will tell you that the insurer has the right to examine your books and records up to a, sign, a time certain um, after you sign on, you guys marry each other, to make sure that you really have a legitimate business. Because uh, one of the things that you're going to ha- have to prove, even if you do have business interruption and extra expenses, they want to look and see if you were actually in business several years, some number of years before the before um, the COVID um, or, or whatever it is, whatever is the, the, the peril that occurs caused your business to be shut down by the government in this in, instance that we're talking about here. OK, uh, again, you know, insurance companies are made up of very smart people, the least of which are people who have J.D. behind their name the smartest of which are actuaries and people heavily into finance. Okay. Now the com- the common policy terms is something uh, again, that'll tell you that the insurer has the right to examine your books and make sure that you're really in business and that you can substantiate your losses. And if there's something called business extra business income and extra expense form, it will tell you precisely what is and is not covered, and it will give you examples how your payout is going to be uh, determined using mathematical formulas and the like. Uh, So first, they're going to make you pony up your deductible, and then they will 
do some math to figure out, um, you know, what part of the amount of loss they're going to repay you up to a certain amount. And you need to know what that is uh, before uh, you engage them. And again, you also need to go and look and see if there's an exclusion due to virus or bacteria and um, one for fungi and bacteria because these are new types of losses that uh, the insurance company uh, have decided the, the risk is too high for them to uh, make money. And I'm again, when I I'm not disparaging um, insurance companies for making money, but you know, you need to know that that it's not just a one way street. They're not stupid and they're going to make you prove the loss. So and it, however, there's something called bad faith in insurance. That's where your insurer is acting in bad faith and denying your claim. Now, that there are laws against that. And, and let me just back up a little bit more. Insurance is determined on a state by state uh, basis. And in California, we have an elected insurance commissioner who has a staff of lawyers and actuaries and financial analysts whose job it is to make sure that the premiums that are charged by insurance companies are have some rational basis to reality. And there also is a complaint division in the Department of Insurance where you can file a complaint uh, if your insurance company is acting in bad faith. And so I'm going to leave it there for now. But as always in closing here at Selwyn's Law, we always want to stay on the right side of the law, especially the laws that are there to help keep our businesses afloat and take care of our families and employees during this pandemic until most of us get vaccinated against COVID-19. So till next time, mask up, keep your social distance, wash your hands, take care, and Merry Christmas. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content.